When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, Daylight Burners. Uh, happy Wednesday to you. Um, I just passed over the fourth year anniversary of starting this show, and uh, <coughs> it's uh, <coughs> been a wild ride. And as I've uh, mentioned here, Quite a bit here in the in the last couple of weeks. I've been uh, been busy, been kind of at a blank uh, from time to time, and then uh, I've been trying to get some some uh, stuff recorded on horseback. But um, it's yeah, sometimes it's just tough. And the good thing about doing this for four years um, is I've got a lot of lot of back content that I can pick from and. I was scrolling through one of my hard drives and I found uh found this episode and I think you guys will like it. Um I know I know you guys liked it when I when I first put it out. But it is uh this is from August of twenty nineteen. Um Scott Hall, my buddy. Uh you guys know him well. This is uh his uncle Kenny Hall. And it was a conversation I had with him uh over the phone. Uh in the, in the early days of recording this, so the recording quality is uh not the best, but I uh, I touched it up as best I could, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think you're gonna like it. So, uh, without further ado, uh, here's a replay of an episode with Kenny Hall. Okay, well, folks, I'm here with uh, Mr. Kenny Hall. He is uh, uncle to uh, Scott Hall, who you heard here just a couple days ago, and we're gonna we're gonna talk some cowboy stories. So. Uh, Kenny, go ahead. Okay, yeah, I I grew up out to Fort Hall, uh, born in 1945. And, uh, my grandparent, he uh, left a homestead from down here at McCammon on the Marsh Creek and uh, ended up out to Fort Hall in 1930-something during the Depression. Okay. Uh, he, he worked for uh, U&I Sugar after he left here for a year in the sugar beets and when he got paid he got as far as Fort Hall and at least 20 acres and started out there uh, 
when we left in 1964, we owned 200 acres or on a hundred acres there on the reservation. And okay. Grandpa, and, Grandpa and the Indians kind of had a disagreement. We was trying to buy another 120 acres and the BIA and and Grandpa didn't get along. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've heard there's uh there's been some some disagreements over the years with uh with folks and then the the Indians they don't quite see eye to eye to eye on uh, at times. So yeah, we sold out up there and we bought a little ranch down here on the Marsh Creek in between Ankham and McCam and Idaho and uh that start the story out, Grandpa he said right after they'd moved in out there they there's a knock on the door late one night around midnight and this Frank Bell come in, Indian, and he was drunk. He wanted to arm wrestle Grandpa. Grandpa said he knew if he lost that there wouldn't be any <laughs> living out there. So he beat the Indian in the in the arm wrestling match. Then it wasn't too long after that. They was working cattle there on the place. Uh, Dad had a big round crow. Grandpa and Dad had a great big round crow. It was made out of six-inch cellar poles, and it was 12 foot high and 50 foot across. And That's a pretty big round then. Yeah, and Dad had Indians roping for him, uh, Friday Tindoy and uh, Austin Gould was roping. And Friday was healing for Austin, and he would put a figure eight on the hind feet every time he throw the loop. Never oh. seen anybody rope like him before. I remember he, I was just a little kid when then, but but going along with the story, they was working cattle there, and this Frank Bell come back in the yard drunk again, rode in on a horse. Grandpa was on the ground tending fire, and he pulled a rifle out and threatened to shoot Grandpa and Dad went over oh. the top of the crowd and knocked him off the horse and I guess beat the hell out of him. Ten minutes huh. was all over the reservation. <laughs> <laughs> I bet so. <laughs> oh, man. Dad said Grandpa bought him his first rope when he was about 14. And it was a 60-foot rawhide rope. Okay. And they lived on the edge of what they called Ross Fork Creek. Kind of a big meadow down in there, and uh, it was pretty open. He said his saddle horse was down in there, and he walked down in there. And he said he didn't know it when he started down in there, but there was a Indian bull down there, and them old Hereford bulls at that time was pretty hard to get along with. Oh, okay. So he ended up throwing clear to the end of that 60-foot rope and caught his horse and got on his horse just before the bull got to him. <laughs> Oof. And and dad dad said that there's one of the bulls come into the place there and he called fort hall and told the range man that he better send somebody down to get this bull and he was mean he said don't don't go out there on foot he said this bull will get you so what does the range man do he shows up and went wandering out there and dad said he seen him so he grabbed the shotgun and ran out there and he said he shot the bull Turned him away just before he got to the guy. He said Oof. they called. So 
So he left and sent three Indians down there, and they had a big old diamond T truck, and the three guys got out of the, took their horses and went down there, and he said the one guy roped him by the head and the other one roped him by the heels and headed for the truck. They dragged him right up the truck and right into the truck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They didn't, even, they didn't even bother trying to lead him up there on the rope. They just drug him, huh? Yeah, they just drug him down the road. Dad said when he first started cowboying out there, he went on the roundup down on the bottoms, on the Fort Hall bottoms down there, and it, it was off the backwaters of the American Falls Reservoir. Okay. He said, he said that there was about, I don't know, 3,000 head of cattle at the time. There was, and the big, the big Indian at that time was this, uh, Thorpe, and he was from Lincoln Creek. Dad said he'd come in riding a thoroughbred horse that he'd paid $5,000 for. This is, you know, back in the, I'd say, late 30s. That's a, that's a lot of money for a horse nowadays, but let alone back yeah. then. Yeah. And he said the big old black thoroughbred horse, he had a silver-mounted saddle bridled and the old boy had a Stetson or Stetson hat and uh, he wore a suit. He said he was all dressed up, but he was the big cattle man at the time at Fort Hall. Huh. I knew his grandson. He was he was a nice guy. But okay. there was he he said they'd go into a big rodeo, you know, and guys would circle the big outfit and There'd be two guys go in and rope cattle, and he said the one guy would throw a loop over the front shoulder and pick the front feet up, and the other guy would pick the hind feet up. And he said they rope until one of them missed. When the when the one guy missed, then they'd have to go out and somebody else would come in. But he said for two days, them two guys roped and never missed. Oof. And he said that's, it had that's some, a lot of roping. Yeah, he said they had a big two-year-old steer, a bunch of two-year-old steers in there, and he said they'd make a break and run for the outside, and he said them guys would ride out there and reach down and pick the tail up and take a dolly around the horn and kick their leg over and ride by and roll them old steers out through the meadows. <laughs> he said they'd go back and stay in the center of the herd then. <laughs> <laughs> I bet so. <laughs> That's that's where my dad learned a cowboy was down there on the reservation. That's kind of where I learned everything. And then well, we had I, an old I've friend. Heard... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I was just gonna say I've I've heard some stories. I I didn't really grow up around uh, very many Indians. Uh, there, you know, we we weren't anywhere close to to a reservation where I I grew up. And but I've always heard stories of those those Indian guys. They just they'd go out and rope a wild horse and uh get him get him stopped and somebody would jump on and then they they just go go ride the sucker through the desert <laughs> and uh you know we we chased a lot of antelope and stuff when I was growing up but we we didn't have any wild horses and we, of course I don't I don't think anybody ever got close enough to an antelope to try and rope it and and ride it but I imagine it probably wouldn't have worked too well <laughs> yeah dad said that there was Two herds of wild horses come in below the house out there one night. And he said the two stud horses got in a fight. He said the one was a bay and the one was white. And he said the next morning, 
he says, you couldn't tell which of the white horse was or the bay horse. They was both covered with blood. Oof. He said that they fought all night long. Dad said he, he run into that one stud horse, got him cut out on the end of a bend one night and tried to catch him. And he said, <laughs> no way you can catch that horse. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was uh, bad. During World that, War Two, they run a lot of horses out there. And during World War Two, uh, there's a couple of three Indian and another guy got together in them horses, and they'd bring them into the railroad station at uh, Pocatello and ship them to the army. Oh, okay. And Dad lost his. One saddle horse. He said he knows that was what happened to him. He said he ha. never did find him. They had one of them gathers. His horse disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. That's well, just uh, another case of the government taking something from you, ain't it? <laughs> yeah. But he said when he, he got this little white horse, and he said he weighed about, oh, 750. And he said one day, he was wanting to break him to rope, so he tied on hard and fast, and there was a bull in the corral, so he roped the bull over the top of the fence and got off and went to the house. <laughs> the bull had run the little horse up into the fence, and the horse would back up and run the bull into the fence. <laughs> pretty quick, the horse held him. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. I I always kind of liked that uh, teaching a horse to rope. You know, I'd, I'd swing a little swing rope off of him a little bit, but... uh Rather than dragging a log or anything, I was, well, I just roped something kind of, kind of just big enough that that it could bog them down a little bit, and uh, and just go to the horn and see what happened. You know, if they if they want to bust in two, I'd I'd go ahead and pinch it off and let that let that steer kind of bog them down a little bit, and then uh, you know let the rope run if I need to. But you know, it seemed to seemed to work out pretty decent. So I, I don't know, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but it seems like it worked out all right. Yeah. Yeah, I used to rope sagebrush. I was teaching them to rope. I'd just rope a big sagebrush and dally it. If it pulled out, it pulled out. If not, it stopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good but, enough. Yeah, that's... I learned how to break horses with a hackamore. That's what Dad done, and we didn't know how to... really didn't know where to go. That's the way the Indians rode them out there, mostly, was the hackamore. So we mm-hmm. started horses in Hackamores and didn't really know where the heck to go. So back in 70, oh, 73, 4, 75, I don't remember for sure. Ed Canal had a spade bit school in Mizzou, in Helena, Montana. Okay. And the wife and, wife and I went to it and got quite an education and, it works. <laughs> yeah, I did get I did get a couple head finished, but uh, that's we had a a little Appaloosie horse that we started out with, and he was kind of a kind of a little outlaw. He wouldn't butt, but he just kind of hard to get along with. Yeah, I finally got him, and when he was. Oh, he probably weighed, he might have weighed 750, 800 pounds, but just mm-hmm. a little cat, and he turned out to be a nice spade bit horse. He just had enough 
he could lope right alongside the horse that was walking. I've never seen huh. one that was like you. <laughs> just, as, just as quick as a cat. But, uh, then we we had an old friend that when we moved down here on the Morse Crack, we, I, we knew him before this. He was from the Rockland area over above American Falls. Okay. His family was one of the first settlers in that area. And I've got three of his bits and a pair of spurs, and they've got to be oh, 100, 150 years old now. Oh, man. Uh, the one's a John Estrada bit, and the other one I can't find a mark on, but it's the same style. Huh. And then the spurs, the spurs is the same way. Uh, I, I got to collect them wanna... after... <laughs> I said, I don't suppose you'd want to trade out of them, would you? <laughs> well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking a little bit. I'm getting to the age that maybe I've, I got ten bits now. Yeah. That I, that I've collected and, uh, five sets of spurs. But I'm not quite ready. I'm thinking about it, but I'm not quite ready. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll start saving up some money. So when when you when you decide to, I'll uh, I'll be in line. <laughs> I don't know much yeah. about the I don't know much about the buckaroo gear. We we were pretty plain Jane as far as our tack uh, went growing up. You know, it was just kind of uh, you know a finished horse back home was just packing on like a high port with with solid cheeks and uh, you know and and like my saddle's just rough out. A little bit of buck stitching, and I, you know, I, I think I've got some some conchos on it, but they're nothing, nothing real flashy. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a completely different style back where I grew up. Yeah. And so I'm I'm learning a little bit about the spade bit. I've got a few horses that I'm riding in the Bozelle now, but or Hackamore. But I I grew up just, you know, you throw a snaffle bit in their mouth and and progressed until they until they got to, you know, something a little more. A little more severe, but you know, of course, with the severity, you got to be lighter, and and you know, it's all a all a process. It's kind of the kind of the same process, it just or the same end end goal, just different process, I guess. Yeah, the big thing about a spade is you've got to have a really really light hand. And oh yeah, that's got to be broke, you know. Yeah, that's a big chunk of iron in their mouth. And and that's you know, and that's something that. People make a mistake. That isn't near as severe. Uh, a grazing bit will cut a horse's tongue off, and a spade won't because you can't turn a spade over. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But as I started to tell you about Edgar, Edgar's ranch was. Azer, I heard once nine thousand acres. Mm-hmm. And they run. A hundred head of perching horses. Oh. And, uh, 75 head of saddle horses, thoroughbreds and Appaloosies. And Edgar said they got out once. They took off and they crossed what they called the lake channel on the Snake River, uh, west of American Falls. Okay. And it's, it's, it's pretty quiet right in there. 
And <laughs> he said they went down there and they trailed the horses down to the river and the horses had crossed the river on the ice. Oh. And he said my horse was slick and he said my cousin's horse was sharp shoot. And he said we rode across the river there. Gathered the horses uh, would, up. Would you mind uh, explaining to folks what a what a sharp shoe is? I I I've used them myself, but uh, you're you're more from familiar with them in that, the country that you grew up. If you wouldn't mind uh, just explaining what that is. Well, they got corks on the bottom, probably three quarters of an inch long, on the heels and on the toes, and the kind of an ice shoe they called them. And Edgar said they rode across there and they were and picked the horses up and got them to the channel and started them back. And he said the horses turned and run down the ice. And he Oof. says, cousin outrun them. And he says, every place that horse hit the ice, water come up through the hole. <laughs> and he said that that ice was just floating on top of that water. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I bet that was a little unnerving. Yeah, he said it was a little unnerving. And then about the time the BLM come in, uh, Eliason's horses got out and they went down to the Raft River, which was west of uh, Rockland. And the BLM trailed them. And they went looking for Edgar telling them that they had these horses pinned up and they was going to find him. Just, you know, the BLM had just took over and they was trying to make a show, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, Edgar's, Edgar's cousin happened to be riding and he was sitting on top of the hill when he seen the BLM pull out. He went down and opened the gate and gathered the horses up and drove them back down over top of the hill. <laughs> when they got back down there, <laughs> there was no horses in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet that made uh, big fans of the the BLM too, huh? <laughs> yeah. And Edgar's brother was working in Island Park uh, on the railroad ranch, and he called Edgar and he said, "I got a horse up here I want to send home." And so Edgar got on the train and rode the train up to Island Park, and. Spent the night up there, and he got on the horse the next morning, and he rode from Island Park to Aberdeen. Took him all day, and he said this horse he didn't dare get off from until no. he got to some place where he knew that <laughs> he wouldn't be in trouble. Yeah. So he spent the <laughs> night in Aberdeen, and then rode on into Rockland. But he said this horse was really a snake. <laughs> <laughs> Safest place was on his back, huh? Yeah. Dad said there was an old cowboy coming to Fort Hall, and they had kind of an outlaw up there. Everybody, I guess quite a bunch of the guys that tried to ride him couldn't get along with him, so this guy come in. He hobbled the horse, and he rode him there for over a month with one leg tied up. Oh, Jesus. Finally, he got to the point where he rode him with a leg tied up for a while, and then he put a running W on him. Oh. But finally, the guy took off, and he rode him from Fort Hall to Salmon. 
And he said, when he got up there, he said, that horse wasn't worth a dime after that. And he said, he had a great start. Ah. Then we had a little old Indian. Uh, out there, he was about 4'11". Wasn't very big. Him and his brother and his sister run relay horses back in the 20s and 30s. All over. They went okay. to Calgary and all over. And they had a, this place I live on down here is called the Hot Lakes Place. It's, there used to be a big hot lake on here. It's kind of dried up now, but they had a swimming pool on here. And they had a big rodeo and barbecue and everything for two days. And Nels Bartlett and his brother was riding bucking horses and stuff. And this bucking horse took off and there happened to be one fence there to the north of us here and the horse that uh, the old kid was on run through the fence and fell with him and he died about two weeks later. Mm. This old Indian was called Kazaz and he had an eye knocked ah. out and he'd ride anything but he had this paint horse that kept bucking him off. So he decided that he'd leave him, so he tied a rope around the horse's neck and put the coils over the saddle horn and tied the rope around his waist. (laughs) (laughs) Horse backed him off and he didn't get the coils pitched. I guess he drug him for two or three miles before somebody finally caught up with him. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) uh, Scott was kind of telling me about that, how he, uh, instead of just tucking that that McCarty into his... uh, to his chinks there, he went ahead and tied it around his waist, and <laughs> that's that's some commitment there. Yeah, the old boy had a great big old kind of like a Tom Mix hat on that he wore, and he had a, a big bandana that he wore around his neck, and had that patch <laughs> on the one eye, and his pants rolled up. He had big cuffs on his pants, wore <laughs> them little old high heeled boots, and he'd get. He rode into Pocatello and behind the Oasis bar in there, and he'd tie his horse up and go in there and get drunk. They picked him up one night for drunken horse riding through the underpass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. But I rode a lot with the Indians out there. In fact, I cowboyed with the, uh, my, the kid I rodeoed with, team roped. And, Rode back and horses with. He was an Indian kid from out there, and we traveled for about four or five years together before we got married. That stopped all that playing. <laughs> yeah, it, it tends to do that once you once you get get married. It, it kind of it stops the the traveling quite a little bit. And I was we was roping. I was roping for Dad. One year, there we roped for two days. I roped for two days for him, and there was this Chuck Niffin. He was another Indian that rode with us. And he was about my dad's age. And I was roping, and oh, my leg was getting sore. I had blisters on my leg from roping and dragging calves. I missed a couple times, and Chuck says, Kid, he says, you're not roping. 
jackrabbits in the sagebrush. He says, shake a loop out there and rope. <laughs> I quit missing after that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So did you did you grow up, uh, you learned to rope on a slick horn, I, I'm guessing? Oh, yeah. Well, the horns we had was covered with grass rope or with cotton okay. rope. And I learned to rope with a grass rope. Okay. In fact, I've got I've got three hemp Ryan Ryan ropes in a rope can here that was bought brand new in 1970, never been used. Really? Huh. They're thirty thirty five foot long, thirty or thirty five foot long. Three of them's never been used. I did use the one a little bit, but yeah, that's what I learned. And I had a heck of a time with a nylon rope. <laughs> they just I, didn't my have dad the feel said, of, the, of a grass. That's what my dad said too. He he was born in '45 as well, and he and he he uh, uses a, a polyester rope anymore. But he said he never could get used to the feel of a nylon. And, and I talked to one of one of his friends the other day, and he grew up uh, down in the Texas Panhandle, and he has never dallied a day in his life. He he didn't even know what dallying was until he he started seeing some of the team ropers with, with rubber on the horn, but he always always tied hard and fast, and they doctored a lot of wheat pasture cattle that way. And uh, yeah. it's, it's just it's kind of interesting seeing, uh, seeing how different people uh, – Different people, cowboy. You know, just depending on where where you you grew up and where you learned, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I roped calves for a while, and that's the only time I tied on hard and fast. Yeah. But it was fun. I've, like I said, I grew up on the reservation and rode with a bunch of the Indians out there, and a bunch of the kids that I rodeoed with, they lived out there. They white kids, too. But that's where we learned the cowboys out there, and we'd slip down on the bottoms and gather some of the Indians' horses up to ride and drive them up into a little arena we had, and some of the guys would ride them, and we'd sneak them back down on the bottoms and turn them loose. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, them. I learned you get down in them bottoms, and you was in a lot of bogs and mud. You had to learn them horses. Some of them liked it, and some of them didn't. A lot of them didn't like that mud, and they they beat you up pretty as bad as a backing horse. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether I got <laughs> a lot more stories or not. I'm. Well, Scott you... told me I had I had to ask you about uh, winter in the horse herd and the junipers. He he said you had oh. to tell that story. Yeah, Grandpa said that at the time uh, it was during the depression. He said there'd be a a train come in and they'd have a carload of hay and a carload of oats, and he said hay sold for three dollars a bale and a sack of oats was. Four dollars, and he said, before you could get there, it was all gone. They had mm. about between twelve and fifteen head or twenty head of horses, 
and they drove them just above the house where I'm at now up to a big juniper grove. And they put them up okay. there in November, and the 1st of April, or the 1st of March, they was able to get back up in there. And they said the horses would eat all the bark and limbs and everything they could off the junipers after the, you know, they couldn't get anything, any grass or anything. And then they started eating the, their manes and tails. He said they brought all them horses down and put them on feed and went to Captain Hay as soon as they got a little strength. Jeez. He said they saved every one of them. He said there wasn't, they didn't lose a horse. Really? Huh. Living off of junipers. That's, yeah. That's pretty crazy. We used to take, we had about, a, about 35, 40 head of horses here when we first come down here. There was a dry farmer above us, and he had a big catcher on the back of his combine, and it would make a great big stack, oh, probably a ton bale or maybe two ton, of just straw. Mm-hmm. And he left them up there, and Dad asked him, he says, can I put my horses up there? And he says, as soon as it freezes, he says, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we throwed we throw them horses up there. There was one Shetland pony with them Dad had bought for somebody. My dad thought as long as he had horses, he had money. <laughs> yeah. He used to do a lot of trading. And oh, yeah. We went up there, and he rode up there, oh, probably the end of February, and he had to tromp a, a trail to get him down out of there. But they'd went through all that straw up there. He brought them down, and they was in better shape than the horses we had down here feeding. <laughs> so. Boy, that, that depression. Pretty... Oh, go ahead. Well, this wasn't during depression. This was just, oh, hell, 35, 40 years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. It's just, just a tough winter. Yeah, it was. We When we first moved down here, it was nothing to have four foot of snow on the level. Hmm. It's been a, been a while since we had that, but... Uh, before Dad got killed, right well, right after we moved down here, the neighbor Edgar he had a team and was feeding with a team and sleigh, and Dad had a tractor and a pickup, and he decided that was the way to feed. So we started. He bought him a team and got him a sleigh, and that's the way we fed. After that was with a team and sleigh, and uh, Scott's dad, he worked at Sun Valley. He he drove a sleigh up there and hauled people in the winter for three or four years. And, uh, he's a pretty good teamster. Yeah, I've uh, I've I worked on a ranch up in Montana, and we we used a tractor and a and a hay buster to feed up there. But I know that one of the neighboring ranches they still fed with a team and a sleigh, and it was pretty neat to watch. I uh, I didn't yeah. really envy them because uh, it oh, them in Montana winters are brutal cold, but uh, it, was, yeah. it was neat to watch. I like I said I I, I don't don't say I, I wished I would have been them because uh, that tractor was plenty warm, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was it was neat to watch. I had a a moose hide I traded an Indian kid out of one night when we was out partying and had it tanned and. We'd 
get ready to go somewhere on that sleigh, and we'd take that moose hide and lay over our laps, and maybe we'd go. We got snowed in for a couple of days here, and we fed our cattle, and Dad decided it was time to go to coffee over in the cafe, so we took off with the team and sleigh and drove down the road. And my cousin lived about two miles down the road here, a mile and a half, and we picked him up went on down a ways further and picked up another neighbor, and we went on over to the cafe and had coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we we, had, we didn't have uh, we didn't have that that type of snow out on the out on the flatlands when if it snowed that much, uh, it was kind of a natural disaster. You know, when the when the when the when when the snows like that out on the plains, that we usually get the wind with it, and boy, it, it gets pretty. Pretty treacherous uh, getting out there when when that wind snow is whipping around. Yeah, and that's that's what we liked when we moved down here. We're kind of behind the mountain, and we don't get the wind out to Fort Hall. Dad said after he moved down here, he said, "Good heaven, I didn't know I could walk up standing up straight." <laughs> <laughs> I, the wind blew I, out I, there too. <laughs> yeah, I always uh, I told. I've told people you can always tell somebody that uh that's been in the wind a little bit because when you walk outside you just kind of put your head down and lean into it and you don't you don't really look up you just kind of kind of plow through it till you get to where you're going and then and then you can kind of pick your head up otherwise you're you're you lose your hat you lose lose your orientation you just gotta you just gotta plow through it. Yeah, we had a had an old friend who grew up in Oklahoma. He said they had a 200-pound rock out on the porch with a log chain on it. And he said, you walk out, and it was about a foot off the ground, you'd go to work. And he said, it was standing straight up, you'd go back in the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's about right. My I grew up uh, about eight miles from the Oklahoma border, and uh, my dad has told stories about, you know, he, he grew up in the 40s, but the uh, in the 50s, there was a drought just almost as bad, if not worse, than the, you know, the Dust Bowl. And we, we, yeah. we're, we're right in that Dust Bowl country. And, and those dust storms will blow in and it'll be just calm as can be. And all of a sudden you just smell plowed dirt and you look, look up and it looks like a rain cloud on the horizon. But you better, you better grab a hold of something or, or get inside real quick because in that, that dust hits and you can't see anything and it just you know you breathe it and and it just sandblasts you but it's a uh, you know they uh he said they his mom used to they'd take some gunny sacks and uh and get them wet and just stuck stuff them in the cracks of the windows and, and anywhere there was a crack they were stuffing gunny sacks in there to try to try to keep the dust out but it didn't it didn't do much good he said them gunny sacks and towels and everything they were it was just a sheet of mud when they when they'd unroll them yeah yeah we get a, we had dust storms out to fort hall but nothing like that we was out in an area that was, there was a lot of sagebrush and and cedar trees and you know junipers and we had a dust storm come over once and it stayed just above the trees never seen anything hmm. like that but the, um, down under, down where we was at, it wasn't bad, but up above us, there was there was a heck of a storm. You couldn't see nothing, and oh, when I the bet. wind all stopped and everything, there was a buzzard dead in the yard, and I'd never seen one before. <laughs> huh. 
That's crazy. That first buzzard I ever seen. <laughs> Boy, they uh, we we saw them quite a bit uh, back home, but it was uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of tough country out, you know, from uh, I guess from kind of the Mississippi west you know it's you got to be you got to have some pretty thick skin to live out here if you're especially if you're living you know outside of town it's uh you you, you got to have some a little bit of survival instincts yeah yeah i rode colts from the time i was 14 till i was 68 <laughs> <laughs> i kind of decided maybe in fact the last colt i the last pair of Colts, I just traded the one to Scott and for a spade bit. <laughs> and a 20, and a 38, 357 rifle. And that's oh. the last Colt. He's, he's about 12 years old now. And Scott said that he just sent him to the Crow Reservation. So said they really like him up there. He was a good horse, but I just uh, getting crippled up to where I just can't ride them Colts no more. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I, see, I was adopted and my, my dad had a lot of horses growing up. Well, not, not, nothing near like, like y'all had up there, but, you know, we didn't have near the big open country either. You know, we had a lot of cattle, uh, around us, but it was, you know, a big pasture back there would be like a thousand acres, <clears throat> but it's, uh, and it's all, for the most part, private ground. There's not much BLM stuff. We're kind of on the, on the very eastern edge of where the BLM type uh country starts but I uh, I grew up uh riding colts and it was not something I wanted to do but it was, it was just <laughs> kind of for, forced down my throat and then I got to, as I got older I got to where I kind of enjoyed it and I, so I still do it now but I know first starting it was it was not my cup of tea and uh but I I had to do it so I, I learned to like it I guess and Got kind of halfway decent at it, I guess. Yeah, I I always thought that the horse didn't try you a time or two. He wasn't worth anything. The older yeah. I got, the more I thought, ah, oh, maybe it's good they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I got to where I I didn't like to hit the ground very well, so I I learned. I don't know if I if I learned how to ride so much as I learned how to stay on, and uh, and then I I got to where I was. Fairly decent at talking them out of out of bucking, so it just it made yeah. it seemed like it made made life a little bit easier. Yeah, when after I got married, I kind of had to just ride on the weekends and stuff. I ended up driving concrete truck for a company, and so I helped Dad run cattle here and on the weekends and evenings when I got home, and I rode colts when I. You know, on the weekends, <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. And, but yeah, I was riding a thoroughbred colt one day. And we was coming up out of the out of a big wash down here, and I was riding alongside my wife, and we was probably oh forty fifty feet in the air, and this colt just stepped off in the air, and down we went. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> <laughs> it gives you kind of a thrill when you drop forty feet and there's nothing under you. <laughs> oh, I bet. Uh, I bet it was a hell of a crash when you landed too. 
Well, it wasn't as bad as you'd think, but it made you think awful hard. No, <laughs> I'm that was a big thoroughbred coat. My dad traded horses all the time, and uh, we had a horse trader come in out of Wyoming all the time, and he'd always have a horse on the truck. Dad would trade him out of it, and we'd ride him for a year or so, and then we'd trade him to him for something else. And, and <laughs> one one friend of Dad's down here, he would bought horses for this guy. And one summer, Dad and Dick went through 500 head that they bought. Oh wow! Just out of the valley here, uh, or out of the area. I won't say out of the valley, but between Blackfoot and here. Uh, we traded for he traded for a six year old dun mare. Okay, and she was about seventeen hands high. Oof, little good, little guy, a little mare. I mean, a nice mare, <laughs> but she was started when she was a two year old and then hadn't been rode. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, well, we saddled her up and I went to riding her. She done pretty darn good. I rode her with a pencil bozel. She just Handled halfway decent. One day I was at work and the wife had just had a hysterectomy. She'd only been out of the hospital in a couple of weeks. And she saddled the horse up and went down the road to the neighbors and got off and was visiting with them. Tightened the mare's cinch up and went to get back on her and she blowed up. She was cinch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we had a couple of battles with her. We was running cattle on the, across the river over here, and they made a big run down the creek on me, and I went to get ahead of them, and I bailed off in the in the marsh creek and started up and to cut them off, and I hit a hole, and the water was coming right over the front of the saddle, hitting me right in the chest, and it was about eight o'clock in the morning. No <laughs> oh, man, pretty chilly. <laughs> I bet so. If you weren't awake then, you were you were awake real quick. Yeah, I had a, and I got ready to, I went and got on her one morning, and she went to bucking with me, and I'd pull her head around, and she'd give her, I mean, she'd just give it right to me, and she'd done that about three or four times, and then all of a sudden, she took that away from me, and I lit on my fist and broke two ribs, <laughs> and we rode a, he was a POA quarter horse, Appaloosa horse, for this. Okay. Friend. We started him in a, just a nice horse, tough. And we rode him and rode him, and heck, the wife took off on him one time when I was gone, went clear up on the mountain with him all alone, and nobody knew where she was. Let him go that winter, and the next spring, was getting ready to go chase some cows, and I saddled him all up, and I was putting my chaps on. So Deborah, I said, step up on him and turn him around a time or two. She stepped up on him, and he blowed up and went to backing with her. She got off from him, and I went and got on him and knocked the hell out of him a little bit, and everything was fine. We huh. rode all summer and got along pretty decent. And then that fall, we was down at the, on the roundup cutting cows out for this guy we rode for and picked this one big heifer up. We'd been riding about six hours, getting close to noon. We was going to stop for noon. And I kind of leaned over in a stirrup and let him cut this cow off, and he ducked out from under me. 
So I rode for nine hours on him. I didn't get off from him again. <laughs> but he didn't get better after that. He'd lay for you. He'd catch huh. you off balance just a little bit. Then he'd blow up and try to buck. We was on the, across the river again gathering cows. I don't know what happened, but he blowed up and went to bucking and he bucked till I give, I lost, <laughs> I give out. He didn't <laughs> buck hard, but he just, he just kept at me until I run out of wind and I stepped off from him. Dad caught him and I got my hair back and I got back on him. And that day I hung my spade bit on him. I'd been just riding oh. with a pack more. And we made about three steps and he tried me again and that time I picked the spade bit up and I rattled his <laughs> head with it. And, but I never got where he could trust him and the guy I was riding him for had a wooden leg. Oh. So he had to be pretty darn general, but he just, he was, if somebody had had him that rode him hard every day, I think he'd have been a good horse, but where I'd only get a chance at him about once a week, well, it just wasn't enough for him. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a uh, like that. <laughs> I had a done horse I sent to the sale here about a year ago that was like that. Uh, my dad had raised this this colt is out of our probably our best brood mare she was a poca bueno uh go man go bred mare <clears throat> and uh bred her to a, a big running quarter horse stud and he was a really really well put together little red dun horse <clears throat> and uh my nephew had him for a little while and i guess he rode him got to where he was kind of getting along pretty good with him and then he uh had a bad day one day and I said it was like starting all over from the beginning so I I tried my hand at him and he was a he wasn't really a a bronchi sucker you know he would buck a little bit but it was more just kind of a running buck he'd uh he'd just kind of sprint out across there and uh kick his ass up a little bit but nothing nothing real real nasty about him but he, he was kind of a runaway prick and uh and I, I had him coming around pretty decent. He was actually kind of halfway handy. And I was, I was swinging a rope on him, and I was just about to the point where I was going to see see how he'd do roping. And then I, I took about a week off on him. I, I went back to Kansas, and, and I went deer hunting. And when I came back, it was just like my, my nephew said, it was, it was like starting back over at day one, and we had a... We had a pretty big wreck there in the feedlot. He, uh, oh, he was wanting to run off, and I was trying to pull this, this little kind of Hereford cross heifer, and, and she was wanting to run, and he was wanting to run, and, uh, next thing I know, um, next thing I know, he, he slipped, it was, uh, it brained a little bit, and down he went, and I hung a foot in the stirrup, and he drug me about two or three strides before I got kicked loose. And then that sucker hit the afterburners, and uh, there was two gates set across the alley down the ways, and he blasted through both of those like it was nothing, bent the gate rot back into about a 90-degree angle, and then he, he hit the gate at the top of the alley, which was log-chained, and didn't make it through that one. I think it kind of catapulted him back in on his ass, and then he... He gathered himself up and came back the other way. We got him slowed down and stopped, and 
every time I stepped off him after that, he would, uh, he would just, he'd pull loose and take off running. And I don't even think he was looking at where he was running. You know, was, I caught a glimpse of him a couple times when he did that, and his eyes were kind of rolled back in his head, and he was just, he wasn't even seeing anything. He was just running. Well, that that's the kind of horse that'll get a guy killed. So I just, I, I took him over to Fallon, and that was the end of him. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want them kind. There's too many good horses to have one like that. Yeah, that's for sure. It was a shame because, like I said, he was he was bred really nice and and he was put together real shapey type of horse. Uh, it could have been worth worth a little bit of money if we we could have done anything with him, but he just yeah. it wasn't wasn't meant to be. Yeah, the wife had a it was an easy jet stud horse. Uh, the easy jet stud. His grandson had mm-hmm. an easy jet. Real nice. I mean, she wasn't raining on him and. Everything and some girls had borrowed him in one queen contest, and we roped on him a little and worked cows. And he's 18 years old and started tipping over. Hmm. And we couldn't figure out what the heck we'd done. Everything bought a new saddle and put on him and just tried everything. And he went down with her one day. Oh, I was in a hurry. There were some cows getting away, and I got on my horse and didn't stay with her and took off. And he went to running with her and went down and hit a just barely missed going through a barbed wire fence. It cut cut her underneath the eye and everything and <clears throat> got I got back and uh got a hold of him and took her in the house and tore her pants and cut her and spot her to not bad, but this scraped her up, and Mike was with me, Scott's dad, and he unsaddled the horse. I come back up, saddled him all up, and got back up on him, and he went down with me. Huh. And I got back up on him and kind of knocked the hell out of him, and up over the mountain we went, and I was gone for about two hours. We brought him home and rode him the rest of the year, and he was fine. I had nephew riding. We was down in the indoor arena, and we rode him that winter. That spring, we rode him the pen. I was riding a colt. I just got him all soddled up. I stepped up on him, and Deborah went and stepped up on the big roan horse, and he went running backwards, and I slipped in behind her and got him stopped, and she got off. And I went in and called the meat buyer, and he said he was coming through and stopped, and we shipped him. Written in yeah. our hearts. I mean, we'd done everything on him. She'd won uh, raining on him to, in two or three places. But huh. it's something that went screwy. We don't know what happened. Well, there's sometimes they just do that. I don't. You you can't really explain it. They just uh, they just kind of go bad on you, I guess. Yeah, he must have had a tumor or something. The only thing we could figure yeah that would well kenny i think uh i think i've probably took enough of your time for today but i do appreciate you visiting with me well i appreciate time tell a story or two it's been a while 
I tried well, to get I, Scott was going to record some stuff, and you know, heck, I can't get him slowed down. And now he's out of the country, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, he told me, uh, like I said, I, he he kind of really kind of grasped what I was trying to do with with this whole podcast thing, and I uh, and he said you'd sure be a good one to visit. And boy, he he's right. So, uh, you know, if if it's all right with you, I I wouldn't mind doing this again a time or two, or until until you run out of stories or you get tired of talking to me, I guess. <laughs> well, somebody else you should talk to is Scott's dad. He okay. rode for a big outfit over in Wyoming. Uh, uh, he was on the racetrack for a while, and uh, one of the guys in Denver with him had a big ranch, and he took Mike over there, and Mike rode in the fall with him. But, yeah, Mike's been around a little bit, rode for some outfits. And, uh, well, so. cool. I... Uh... I, I'd, I'd sure like to talk to him too, so we'll maybe set it up. But like I said, if if you're willing, I'll uh, I'll, I'll call back in another time and uh, and we'll we'll shoot the shit some more. All right, sounds good. Well, I appreciate it, Matt. Well, well I thank you, you very much. You bet. Have a good one. All right. I, I wish there was some way you could send that to me. I don't know how to. <laughs> well, I I can definitely do that. Um, do you do you know how to use email or anything? Well, we got an email uh, account here on our computer. Okay. Uh, well, I can, uh, I can, I can definitely send it to you. And uh, it's uh, once once you figure out how to well, where to go, then I've got a whole bunch of episodes, and a lot of it's just me talking a bunch of nonsense. But uh, I've, I've I've talked to a couple of couple couple of older guys that have they've got some good stories. Like I said. My my dad's been on and he he's he's told some good stories. He was uh he's cowboyed quite a bit and then he was uh he was involved in politics for for a while, still is a little bit. <clears throat> and uh so there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of good stories to be told and I and uh, I I'm trying to trying to get all of them I can. So uh people people like to listen to them and I think it's important for for people to to hear them too. Uh yeah. for, Get a get a perspective of of what it you know what it takes to put a a steak on your plate, and uh, you know and, and and you know what what a what a the cowboy what it actually means to you know to go cowboy and it's not we're not fighting bad guys and Indians all the time we're we're, we're taking care <laughs> of cows and 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 uh, and and trying not to get killed by our horses so it's uh it's a little different than what a lot of people think and so. I, I think we we've done a pretty decent job so far of kind of you know getting rid of some of the myths that that are out there, but you know it doesn't hurt to to, to hear a few more stories in the meantime. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll get a hold of you and make sure that you can you can listen to it, and we'll 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 try it again one of these days as well. All right. Well, thank you. We'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks, Kenny. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Bye. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Kenny Hall. I, I need to call him again uh, and and have another chat. He was uh, he was sure a fun guy to talk to, and the the audio wasn't as bad as I thought it was, uh, as I remembered, and uh, wasn't great. But um, it's nice. Uh, it's really nice having you guys uh, 
keep listening to the show and uh and if you sign up on patreon i appreciate it dearly it's helped me to buy uh some cool stuff and help uh help this thing sound better and work smoother throughout the years and uh so it's uh it's been a fun four years and uh you know i uh i'm I'm pretty proud of some of these old episodes that i did so i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to dip back into the well uh every now and then um and uh i know there's been a lot of new listeners since since that one was recorded so uh and some of the some of the episodes kind of got lost in translation when i moved uh providers and whatnot i still got all the the old hard copies i think and um if not everything's on on youtube still so um anyways but i'll i'll start refreshing your memory of some of these older episodes and and trying to trying to get back in touch so um anyways thanks for tuning in <clears throat> thanks everybody who uh subscribes on patreon i appreciate you dearly um june 30th looks like will be the day that we'll do the the um, q a with jake zilke for uh, for the book club so um if you got questions um send them to me or, or uh <clears throat> Or let me know either one way or another. Let me know if you're a Patreon subscriber. Let me know if you'd like to do a live question with him. If not, uh, send me your questions, whatever. But uh, let me know one way or the other. And uh, I think it'll be a pretty cool discussion we have with him. So, um, and everybody who's not Patreon, go ahead and send me questions that you'd like to, uh, that if you had any questions for, for Mr. Zilke. Um, and uh, if we run out of Patreon, questions we'll get to some of the some of you plebs you peasants who don't sign up so anyways um but if you'd like to join in on that uh, patreon.com slash burning daylight and uh yeah move your ass we're burning daylight Feed on your ears. Wind blows the dust just like buckshot, and I ain't never seen it rain much out here. Smell your own sweat in the evening, wash up at the galvanized tank. Nearest town's 40 miles, the cook here, he don't smile. And all these young horses are ranked But come a tie on the back of my cavallo I whoop it, I want on when I can My spells, they don't ring much I never did sing much But I'm sure enough, buckaroo man Cold fingers stiff in the morning By noon it's a hundred and three Five-year-old slicks in the canyon And never a hint of a breeze Jug-headed hollow-back ponies Provide all with our 
snakes in the shade Choyer on the parade And a half a ton of grit between my teeth A book on my tie I hit the aisle On the back of my cabayo I will be tie one on when I can My spurs, they don't ring much I never did sing much But I'm sure enough Buckaroo man Oh, oh, oh. 